0: All sorts of transactions um, involve mandatory binding arbitration clauses. And what those clauses say is that uh, by signing the agreement, you're giving up the right to sue in court um, in advance of any dispute. So any dispute that arises later that you might not know about at the time uh, is not something that, that you can sue over.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California that's being baked in some fires.
3: And this is Bob Ambrosi coming to you from Massachusetts, uh, where I write the blog Law Sites and other blog Media Law uh, and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And uh, let me... Give a give a thanks to our sponsors who helped make this show possible. Uh, the show today is being sponsored by Clio, the web-based practice management software, and uh, Landy Insurance at landy.com.
2: And you can find Clio at gocleo.com. And uh, this is Craig Williams, and I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. And Bob, today we're going to be talking about one of the many controversies brewing with regard to consumers and credit cards. No doubt that consumers are seeing changes in the terms of their credit card these days, some due to legislation enacted under the umbrella of, quote, credit card reform. But there are also been some legal action recently that's been very interesting, having to do with consumer rights and arbitration, if there's a dispute between the credit card holder and the credit card company that issued the card. And often without knowing it, people agree in the fine print of credit card applications to arbitrate disputes over credit card bills, rather than have their cases go to court. Questions being asked about whether this arbitration is fair and unbiased.
3: That's right, Craig. Uh, In fact, last month, the Minnesota Attorney General, Lori Swanson, brought a lawsuit against the National Arbitration Forum, in which uh, – National Arbitration Forum being the largest company uh, in the country handling consumer credit card disputes, in which – The uh, AG alleged that the company had hid from the public uh, extensive financial ties to the collection industry. Within a week of that, the NAF announced that it would get out of the business of arbitrating credit card and other consumer disputes, Um, and uh, not long after that, the American Arbitration Association also said it would suspend handling uh, consumer debt collection disputes
2: well, and advocates have claimed this is a big win for the consumer. Critics, are, however, are now saying the consumer is left with no recourse but to sue the big credit card companies, which uh, some people will argue is an unlikely David versus Goliath win. Our guests today are going to help sort this out. We welcome attorney Deepak Gupta, who is a staff attorney at Public Citizen Litigation Group in Washington, D.C., where his practice focuses on consumer and constitutional litigation, he directs the litigation group's Consumer Justice Project, a project that collaborates with private lawyers and other organizations to litigate important legal issues that have the potential to affect consumers' rights. Thanks for joining us, Deepak.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: And also joining us today is Attorney Alan Koplinski,
3: Senior Partner at the firm of Ballard, Spar, Andrews and & Ingersoll in Philadelphia. Alan Koplinski heads up the firm's Consumer Financial Services Group, he devotes his practice exclusively to counseling financial institutions with respect to bank, regulatory, and transactional matters, particularly consumer financial services law, and defending financial institutions that have been sued by consumers and government uh, governmental enforcement agencies in individual and class action lawsuits. Mr. Kulpinski pioneered the use of pre-dispute arbitration provisions in consumer contracts and has represented uh, in court numerous companies that have... Uh, uh, Sought to enforce consumer arbitration agreements. Thanks for joining us today, Alan Kaplinski.
1: Well, thank you very much. My my pleasure.
3: Uh, well, Deepak, I wonder if we could start with you, and I, I wonder if you could uh, give us uh, some some background on uh, the nature of the agreements we're talking about here.
0: Sure. Um, and these these agreements that we're talking about, their arbitration clauses um, in in contracts with consumers, are are pretty ubiquitous, uh, although. Um, it 's surprising most people don 't know about them and and many lawyers in fact may not know that when they get a, a cell phone let 's say or sign up for a credit card uh, or buy a house or take a job, all sorts of transactions um, involve mandatory binding arbitration clauses and what those clauses say is that uh, by signing the agreement you 're giving up the right to sue in court um, in advance of any dispute so any dispute that arises later that you might not know about at the time uh, is not something that that you can sue over. That's, in essence, what a mandatory binding arbitration clause is.
2: Well, are these adhesion contracts?
0: Well, um, you know, arbitration started uh, really as... As a means for um, sophisticated businesses to deal with disputes with each other, and that public citizen we don 't really have a problem with that. If two businesses decide that that 's how they want to settle their disputes that 's fine. what 's happened over the, the course of the past uh, twenty years or so is that that mechanism has been added to all sorts of take it or leave it contracts, contracts where you know if every cell phone company for example includes a mandatory binding arbitration clause, you don't really have a choice. If you want a cell phone, you have to agree to arbitration. Um, and so th- those are adhesion contracts. Um, and uh, in, in some circumstances, uh, you know, in, in consumer cases, the, the consumer doesn't really have a real choice.
3: Well, Alan, uh, Kaplitsky, what's your perspective on this? I mean, you've, you were uh, an early advocate of these pre-dispute arbitration provisions in consumer credit agreements, as I understand it. Uh, give us your view.
1: Sure. Um well, about 10 years ago, um in uh, really in reaction to uh lawsuits that were being filed against my clients throughout the country, but uh in, in mostly in state courts uh in certain states uh where it was impossible for my clients to get a fair shake. Uh, where literally every lawsuit that got filed in in, uh, particular counties in some states like Alabama and Texas uh, and several other states uh, would end up in front of a jury, uh, regardless of the merits of the case. You couldn't get rid of a case on any kind of uh, preliminary motion. Uh, every, so, my clients were clamoring uh, at that time to come up with something that uh, would reduce their costs of resolving consumer disputes, but yet also be fair to consumers. And it was really at that time that. Uh, I uh, did a lot of research about the Federal Arbitration Act, which is quite old. It goes back to 1925, and and it's uh, very clear, the Supreme Court has made it clear that it applies not only to commercial disputes, but also to consumer disputes and uh and i uh started talking to my clients about it. They like the idea uh they experimented with it, and many of them are using it uh not all uh companies are using it uh in the credit card area, i think uh it's more prevalent uh but in the area of mortgage lending i think uh you know you don't see it very often at all. It really varies a, a great deal. But what I have um, in response to, you know, concerns expressed by uh, people like Deepak uh, that, you know, this is an adhesion contract, a take-it-or-leave-it contract, I've encouraged a lot of my clients, and they have gone along with my advice, to give consumers an opt-out right, to give them the right at the point of sale for some period of time, 30, 45 days, to decide whether or not they want to reject the arbitration provision. And uh, and if they reject it, uh, it, it, they would get whatever services or goods that, that they had contracted for without any kind of adverse uh, repercussions and uh and I think you know that's really uh an idea that makes a lot of sense because there then you're not saying to consumers uh you know you have to use arbitration or you can't use arbitration I mean it's like motherhood and apple pie you know you're giving them the consumer an absolute choice Uh, right at the beginning uh, of the transaction to decide whether or not uh, they would like to resolve their disputes with their company. Uh, using arbitration. The fact of the matter is the empirical data that's out there right now demonstrates that um, consumers like arbitration. Those that have been through the process like it a great deal. The uh, the, the, the so-called uh, consumer advocates who don't like it, uh, I don't think are listening to their clients. Their clients really like it. Well,
3: I, I should interject at this point that, that I... Uh, earn part of my income as an arbitrator, and I'm on the uh, American Arbitration Association panel, and and I'm certainly an advocate of, of arbitration. Uh, I, I guess what 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 really concerned me uh, about this case with the National Arbitration Forum uh, was the allegation made both by the Minnesota Attorney General and and uh, by a congressional subcommittee that that this uh, forum uh, was not. Uh, uh, it was not, in fact, neutral, that it had financial ties to the very industry uh, that was bringing these claims before it.
1: Well— that is, you know, what was uh, alleged in the lawsuit, and I'm not here to defend the NAF. I mean, I've got to tell you uh, that it was as much of a surprise to me to hear about those allegations as I think it was uh, to everybody else.
0: Well, Ellen, uh, you, you, I mean, you, you weren't surprised to hear that consumer advocates thought that the, the NAF was biased. We had been saying for years, and, and you had been countering those allegations that that the deck was stacked against consumers when it came to the NAF. And in 2007, our organization, Public Citizen, put out a report um, that showed that uh, consumers lose 95% of the time in in arbitrations involving NAF, and that cases were steered uh, to particular arbitrators uh, who, who ruled against consumers and handled the cases in bulk, and that NAF was blackballing uh, arbitrators, including a a Harvard law professor who was an NAF arbitrator, uh, when they ruled in favor of consumers. So those allegations, um, the general perception that NAF was biased um, was out there, and I think was not a surprise. What was, uh, I think, surprising to people um, was the the revelation that um, a major debt collection law firm, the largest debt collection law firm in the country... Um, had, through a New York hedge fund, uh, set up an ownership agreement um, so that they actually had a stake in NAF. And so you had one entity that was controlling both the debt collection law firm bringing the cases and the forum hearing those cases. And that that was quite shocking to learn.
1: Yeah, well, if I I could just comment on what uh, Deepak said, because um, at least on one portion of it, and that is the claim that they made in their uh, report uh, that they issued uh, a few years ago to the effect that um, uh, consumers hardly ever prevail. Uh, in arbitration in front of the NAF, and they used a figure of, I think, 97% of the time uh, consumers lose and the company or the bank wins. Now, you've got to bear in mind that we're talking about debt collection arbitrations. Uh, and and uh, to put it in its simplest terms, uh, how often do you think a consumer prevails when they get sued in small claims court on an unpaid credit card debt? Well, the statistics there uh, basically are comparable uh to what you uh would uh, see in front of or what uh they demonstrated uh before the NAF consumers hardly ever win those kinds of cases uh, they hardly ever defend them and they don't defend them for good reason they don't have any defense to the payment of the unpaid credit card debt. Uh, some of the the people uh, who haven't paid their credit card debts couldn't afford to pay them. Uh, they had some... Change in their uh, life circumstance, uh, an illness in the family, a loss of a job—they couldn't pay them. Some of them, uh, you know, just didn't intend to pay for uh, reasons that weren't very good. Um, so that really is, uh, I think, a very, very misleading statistic. And indeed, uh, in 2008, Navigant Consulting uh, uh, produced a report based on the same data used by Public Citizen in their report uh, a year or so before then. And what it demonstrated is that Public Citizen did not reflect in their data, when they came up with the 97% figure, they did not reflect the fact that in 32% of the cases, the debt collection cases filed before the NAF, the cases got dismissed by the creditor. Uh, And uh, basically, they got dismissed by the creditor because the consumers either settled the matter or they did not get prosecuted for whatever reason. Uh, And and if you compare that to a similar study done by the Urban Justice Center in uh, New York, in New York City... How old is that study? Uh, Which study?
0: It's a pretty old study, right? The the Urban Justice Center.
1: Oh, it is. But it found that less than 8% of the consumers that face debt collection lawsuits in new york city courts prevailed by having their cases dismissed well compare that to the 32% of uh the the cases that were dismissed uh involving the naf so uh, that that really uh that data means absolutely nothing uh, and and indeed the other thing to keep in well, mind well let me just let me just cut in here NAF, because it, 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 i'm not uh, Alan, defend-
3: uh, let me just Alan, let me just ask you something, because it it just begs the question uh, that that I'd like to put to Deepak, of of, of what is the alternative uh, to arbitration? Do consumers fare any better in small claims court? This is the point Alan's making, uh, or or in the courts in general?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... you know, um, there, obviously there's a very heated and active debate right now going on about the, the empirical evidence. Um, and to some degree, it's very difficult to compare um, compare outcomes and to know whether what you're comparing is the same thing. Um, but I think there's no question, um, you know, Alan said that, that people don't have uh, defenses. Well, <laughs> they do have um, there are certainly legal defenses that are assertable in collection actions um and, and there 's no question that uh consumers have more due process rights uh to present those defenses uh if they're they 're in a court of law and that 's why um, you know consumers it 's not, it's not a coincidence that everyone on the consumer side of the v uh, is opposed to forcing people into arbitration, and everyone on the industry side of the v um, is is in favor of it, it, it I mean people know um, it, that that there 's a certain advantage to uh, to corporate defendants if they 're in, in mandatory arbitration. And, uh, you know, Alan told you that uh, the the genesis of this is that uh, companies were were unhappy uh, facing juries in court, and so they decided to figure out what they could do to uh, get rid of those cases, and what they decided to do was force uh, arbitration on their customers. Uh, And uh, Alan mentioned the, the Um, the possibility of a a sort of opt-out provision that would be put in in a a clause. So I want to respond to that. Um, the, The research, the empirical research on Uh, opt-outs for things like privacy notices and all sorts of opt-outs show that that consumers do not, in general, respond to those opt-outs. People don't uh, read all of the fine print, and especially if it's the the company that's designing uh, the opt-out notice and they don't want people to opt-out, they will find ways uh, to hide that information. And people don't know before they have a dispute uh, that this is something they should pay attention to. Uh, So, you know, what you really need is for people to be able to make the choice about what kind of dispute resolution they want when the dispute actually occurs. The average person just isn't thinking about this when they buy a product or a service. Well, let me uh, just
1: respond uh, to the two points that Deepak made. One is that uh, consumers uh, are given more due process rights when they get sued in small claims court than they do when they get uh, sued in front of an arbitration tribunal. Uh, If Deepak had attended a two-day roundtable that I just attended a couple of weeks ago, sponsored by the Federal Trade Commission, uh, a roundtable held in Chicago devoted to this topic of consumer debt collection and what's going on in the small claims courts these days. I don't think Deepak would have made that observation. Because well, the consumer advocates were, were, the, they were railing. Let me finish my point. <laughs> they were railing against what a poor job the small claims court judges are doing around the country in, in administering small claims court law Lawsuits, the, these credit card debt collection lawsuits that service the process isn't working. Indeed, the New York Attorney General has filed a lawsuit uh, because of the fact that uh, process is not getting properly served in debt collection cases. Uh, no judge is looking at a file before they enter a default judgment uh, in court. In Chicago, there was a judge on a panel who reported on a panel at the FTC. Roundtable who reported on the fact that they only have eight judges and they've got a backlog of 120,000 small claims court cases. So to say that consumers are getting more due process in court than in arbitration, it makes absolutely no sense at all. It's belied by what's really happening out there in the real world. And then on the opt out issue uh, that, that he mentioned, um, yeah, I mean, if in fact. I know my clients uh, who you know, give an opt-out right to consumers, they practically hit, hit the consumer over the head in letting them know that they have an opt-out right. They'll put it at the top of the loan agreement they'll put it if there's a signature line in the loan agreement it'll be right above the signature line uh, and, and uh, if consumers don't exercise that right a lot of them don't exercise it because they don't like the court system they 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 think that arbitration would
0: be a better alternative than having to go to court but, but wouldn't they be able to just agree with the if that's true wouldn't they just be able to agree with the company at the time of the dispute to go into arbitration no, I mean, the, whole, the whole point here is to to force people into arbitration in advance of any dispute so when it turns out they have a dispute they realize they've signed away to their right to court no because at that point
1: at that point if uh, you had a, what, what we call a post arbitration agreement. There would never be any arbitration at all. It would never happen because by that time, the consumer would have gone to a plaintiff's lawyer. And let's face it, uh, arbitration isn't very good for plaintiff's attorneys. It's quite good for their clients, but it doesn't work very well for the plaintiff's bar, and in particular, the plaintiff's class action bar. So they would never agree to it. And my clients, in a situation where the consumer is not represented by an attorney or goes to an attorney who would like to use arbitration, at that point, my clients, I think, would be unlikely to say no, because they would think that they would have more leverage over that consumer by making that individual litigate in court uh, with the company, so to offer that Let, as let, an me,
3: let me interrupt you for just a, a second here. I'll Alan, jump in here, Alan, Alan and Deepak. Let me sure. hold your hold your thought, Deepak, because okay. we need to take a quick break and we can come right back to you, uh, but uh, in about sixty seconds. So just hold your thought.
2: Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Send up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount.
1: Protect your legal practice with Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency and feel confident that your professional liability insurance provides the best possible coverage for the best possible price. Whether you are establishing a new firm, adding an attorney to your team, or exploring new options for your existing firm, Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency can match your specific needs with experience unmatched in the industry. Visit us at www.landy.com for a convenient online application or call us at 800-336-5422 for prompt and personal attention. Your practice deserves the best.
2: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. And we'd like to remind our listeners that you can save 50% on all CLE Legal Talk Network programs by going to CLEcenter.com and clicking on Legal Talk Network. And I know, Bob, we're talking about uh, the issue of mandatory binding arbitration. This become the norm for businesses and deals directly with consumers. And I know that Deepak wanted to jump in there right before we took the break. But I'd like to ask a question, Deepak. What is it that really... Uh, is the main objection to arbitration. I mean, arbitration is used successfully in neighborhood disputes. It's got all kinds of consumer applications. What What's the real problem?
0: Right. The real problem is not with uh, arbitration as a mechanism for dispute resolution. I mean, as I said, you know, if two businesses decide they want to, to go into arbitration, or if, if anyone, if a consumer and a company decide they, they want to go into arbitration, that's fine. the The, the objection to arbitration is... Um, the use of fine print in contracts to, um, to in, in effect, get a, a get-out-of-jail-free card that avoids uh, the court system. And Alan mentioned something that I thought was very telling in his last set of comments. He said it's not very good for um, plaintiff's class-action lawyers. Um, and I think what that gets at is that that arbitration um, is often used as a mechanism for avoiding the possibility of class actions altogether. And that's the main reason that many of Allen's clients uh, believe that they should force their consumers into arbitration. And just to take a couple of examples, if if I have a cell phone or I have, let's say, I get cable TV, and those companies are putting uh, charges, they're tacking things onto the bill, um, they're doing something systematically that costs me... um, some amount of money every month on my bill. I am probably not going to bring a lawsuit, Uh, but if there's a possibility of a class action lawsuit, um, that's going to have a regulatory effect on those companies. They're not going to be able to engage in unchecked market behavior, and class actions are really the only way. When you have small amounts of money that are spread across large amounts of people, that's really the only way to stop companies like that from engaging in that that kind of practice. But if they have an arbitration clause, um, they think that they can use that to avoid A class action lawsuit, and that's really um, what's behind a lot of the push for mandatory arbitration, on um, especially in the the financial services and and consumer side of things.
2: I mean, are you saying that simply just the fine print? I mean, if they made it in twelve point font, that it would be something that would no longer be in fine print. I mean, what what point do consumers have a responsibility to read these contracts? And if you're going to take credit and take lots of money from a from a lender. Where do you just abdicate responsibility?
0: Well, I think you know the reality is um, that people are not you know you can't expect um, the average person to even know what what the choice between arbitration and litigation is. Most people are not even aware of arbitration, um, and you can't expect them in a, you know in anticipation of having some kind of dispute um, to to make that choice. I mean, if the if arbitration really is so great. Um, people can voluntarily choose it, which is what happens in industry um, when it's when it's beneficial to both sides. It should not be used uh, where a repeat player who's much more sophisticated and knows um, what their options are is able to use it uh, to avoid uh, to avoid uh, class wide liability.
2: How is how is going to arbitration any different than going to court? In fact, it's easier and cheaper to go to arbitration.
0: Um, you don't have the right, um, I mean, you know, um, Alan can speak to this, but you don't um, generally have the right to bring a class action. And in fact, a lot of the clauses that uh, that I think Alan has written are written in such a way that... Um, that they explode if someone attempts to bring a class action in arbitration, and then they go to court because the company would rather uh be in court and have the ability to do all the things you can do in court that you can't do in arbitration, like take discovery to find out what the facts are or take an appeal um, you you don't have that option in arbitration um, and so there there are um you know you don't have the right to go to a jury. Um, so, what we're, in effect, sanctioning is uh, allowing repeat players to write their way out of the court system and write their way out of accountability to juries. And, um, you know, the the signature... Um, legislation from the Civil Rights Movement was the the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that prohibits discrimination. There's nothing preventing uh, corporations from putting arbitration clauses in their contracts that prevent people from bringing uh, racial discrimination claims against them. And in fact, many companies do that. They do that to prevent uh, lawsuits over the minimum wage. There are nursing homes that are abusive that use arbitration clauses to prevent their patients uh, that, that get sick or die from suing them. Um so you know this is something with really major public justice um implications across the board.
1: If I could comment just on uh, a couple things that Deepak said uh, on the class action front, I guess I would uh, my response uh to uh, what he said would be um summarized by making the following two points. Number one, when is we're all consumers. I mean, we're lawyers, but we're also consumers, and I often, uh, it, t- it turns out, sometimes completely without my knowledge, I'm a member of a class action uh, that, uh, where a class gets certified. I can't remember one occasion where I got notified that a class action settlement had been entered into, and I uh, was being offered anything of value. The only people who benefit from class-action litigation are the plaintiff's class-action lawyers, particularly in this consumer area. Uh, there's, I've never seen a settlement. I mean, and I'm not saying it, they've never happened. There are some settlements out there, I'm sure, where people did okay. But most of the
0: time, it's the lawyers who do well. And in terms of, uh, can I just jump in to ask you a question about that on the on the class action issue before you move on? Yeah, I mean, I think what if I hear what you're saying correctly, you're not denying the charge uh, that arbitration is being used to to avoid class actions. Uh, What you're saying is that you just don't like class actions at all. Uh, and I'm that they no benefit. That they,
1: uh, there, there is no benefit, uh, not only for, to, from the standpoint of companies, but there's no benefit to consumers, and that they cost a great deal of money and a, and a, a huge amount of energy to defend these lawsuits. Most of them are, are meritless. I'm not saying all of them, but, but most of them are. And I'm talking from experience of about 30 years in defending consumer class actions. And uh, the plaintiffs' attorneys often uh, are able to extract settlements from my clients, not because there's any merit to the lawsuit, but because of the fact is because of the fact that it costs too much money to defend them. Uh, there are other ways of making sure that uh, the rights of consumers are uh, vindicated, and one of the main things in DPA totally overlooked it, is the fact that that's why we have the government. We have federal enforcement agencies. We've got the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission at the federal level. At The state level, we have state departments of banking. We have 50 state attorneys general. And uh, if they believe that consumers are being taken advantage of, uh, they do not hesitate to bring investigate consumers, investigate companies, and uh, to bring lawsuits against them. And unlike the the plaintiff's class action bar, if they're successful, they're generally able to get a complete relief for the consumer without outrageous attorney's fees being taken off the top as they so often are in class action litigation. Well, well I just want to point out how sweeping we, on, Alan's Deepak, arguments are here. Hang on a
2: second. I'm sorry. We've reached <laughs> the end of our program, and we're sure. out of time. So what we and this has been an, a great discussion. But what we need to do at this point is wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information so our listeners can get a hold of you. And, Deepak, I'll let you finish up first. Sure.
0: Well, I want to really thank you for, for having us. Obviously, this is a huge topic, and we can only sort of scratch the surface in a way. Um, But I think this was very revealing. I mean, I charged Alan with using arbitration to avoid class actions and to avoid private enforcement. And I think, in, in essence, he's admitted um, that that's what arbitration is used to do. And his response is to say, well, we can have public enforcement. The government can enforce the laws. But, but there's, there's nothing that private law enforcement should, private uh, parties should be able to do to stop cable companies from tacking on whatever charges they want on your monthly cable bill. And so I think it's, it's interesting because it reveals how sweeping... Um, the the threat of mandatory binding arbitration uh, really is. Um, I encourage people to go to our website, which is citizen.org, where we have a lot of materials, including the the report I mentioned about uh, mandatory arbitration and um, the Arbitration Fairness Act, which is pending in Congress right now. Um, And you can find out how you can support the act, uh, which would uh, eradicate mandatory binding arbitration in consumer contracts.
1: Uh, Let me uh, conclude by uh, pointing uh, the listeners to a uh, study it was just done by the Searle Civil Justice Institute of Northwestern University's School of Law. The study was issued on March 12th, and it was based on a review of 300 consumer arbitrations that were conducted from April to December 2007 by AAA, and they reached the following conclusions, that the cost of arbitration was very low very low, very easy for consumers uh, to get a case administered and heard in arbitration. That it was very fast. It took less than six months from the beginning of a case to the end of an arbitration. Contrasting that with the years, it can sometimes take in court to get a final ruling. And that consumers, one relief in over 50% of the cases filed and recovered an average of almost $20,000 a case. Uh, And that arbitrators very often awarded attorney's fees to prevailing consumers uh, in these consumer cases. The bottom line is... A very distinguished professor from University of Kansas, Professor Drozal, did this study, and he concluded that arbitration was very fair to consumers. And that so basically, that's the empirical data. Uh, the other side of the aisle, the people like Deepak, who are railing against consumer arbitration, can't point to any empirical data. They have lots of anecdotes that they can uh, talk about. Uh, but nothing hard to show that arbitration really is a fair process for consumers.
2: And, Alan, we need to get your contact information.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, my uh, email address is kaplinsky, K-A-P-L-I-N-S-K-Y, at ballardspar.com, B-A-L-L-A-R-D-S-P-A-H-R. And uh, my phone number is 215-864-8544.
2: Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. That does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Uh, We're going to have to invite you back for Part 2. To our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com.
3: Let me add my thanks to our guests. I I did want to drop a footnote uh, with reference to something Alan said about small claims. Uh, Here in Massachusetts, there was just a group that studied... uh, the uh, procedures in small claims court for debt collection cases and found that they did need changing that They were not fair to consumers, but they just uh, – the, the, the highest court in Massachusetts just approved a, a set of rule changes for small claims court that will take effect October 1st that are met – to make the process uh, fairer to consumers to ensure that they're getting notice of these cases and a chance to get into court and defend themselves on these cases. So let me just add my thanks uh, to Alan and Deepak. It was a great conversation, a great show. And, uh, uh, Craig, I look forward to talking to you again next week at another great show.
2: We'll be back then to discuss another great legal topic. And when you th- want legal, think lawyer to lawyer.
1: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com.